All right, people. We're back. Time for another episode of the Soccer Dad Pod. Rolling in with a little bit of fog hat today. It's Friday. And in St. Louis, if it's Friday, you got to play KC Classic. And that's the law. The law of the land in the 314 and 618. Excuse me. It's that time of year, too. So pardon the cough, people. Uh, Thanks for tuning in for another episode here. I believe this is number 19. Um, What was supposed to be a ha-ha funny let's do a podcast has turned into uh, an unexpected monster time suck. (laughs) So it's been a lot of fun. So thanks for uh, tuning in here. Be sure to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, whatever your listen of choice is. Uh, And reviews are great, too. Um, I don't know. Something about the algorithm is what I've been told. So, And apparently the algorithm is good if it likes you. So (laughs) that'll help out. Uh, Two reasons. Excuse me. The second reason I rolled out with a little fog hat, slow ride, is it reminds me of my own youth, high school youth in particular, heading out to preseason practices, usually Kurt Kessler or someone similar would be picking me up in a Trans Am or Trans Am type car, uh, heading out in the late 80s, early 90s, and inevitably it would be songs like Slow Ride. And I'm telling you this because uh, as you've heard from previous episodes, you guys know I'm from Granite City, you know that I'm fairly proud about that 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 fact the 10 times state title winning town compared to a lot less from all of our rivals i.e collinsville and today i have a granite city guest um he played in granite played in college moved on started coaching uh at the college ranks at missouri baptist and uh has moved to significantly higher uh, levels at this point in his career, and I'm super proud and happy to have on uh, Mr. Jared M. Beck, the current Akron University head coach, men's head coach. How are you doing, Jared? Good. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, Got to ask you, when you heard Slow Ride, did you immediately feel like you were back in the 62040? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I thought I was going to... Uh Go across from the baseball field and meet some people there. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're get, a little bit. get a little emos and <laughs> roll the windows down, right? Right, and just hang out, yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, thank thank you for coming on. Um, you know, we, we kind of passively been communicating, you know, from afar. Um, and you being from here, you guys are in town, I'm assuming, for the holidays. You're on a break. Came in town with family and new little one, correct? Yeah, I have a one-year-old, so, uh, you know, because Martin Luther King's on Monday, had a long weekend, so I thought, you know, kind of coincided with, I think it was like a $79 Southwest flight, so I think we yeah, got everyone down here for like uh, under 200 bucks on a flight, so we took advantage of the long weekend to come in and see family and, and, and friends and just hang out a little bit. Nice. Here, I tell you what. I'm just going to move your mic up a little bit there. Um, Today, uh, also, I just want to point out, we are located for this recording at the Mecca, uh, again, in St. Louis, Amsterdam Tavern. Um, You know, I asked you before the show if you've ever been here. 
Uh, you said you've been a couple times. Um, you, you know, when you when you do come home and you walk into a place like this, you know, what, what is it? Wait, does it give you warm fuzzies? Do you feel that St. Louis pride and you know, in because when we were growing up, there were no places like this. Right. So, you know, what do you, what do you think when we walk in? No, I think uh, for me, it, it is pride. You know, especially in the area, St. Louis, because of my travels, you've gone away and see the passion of other people in other countries about soccer, and this would be a big draw to watch games, go to bars and watch it, and. You know, my time, you're always like, I wish I had a place like that. And when I come to St. Louis, there is one. And, and I have a bunch of friends when there's big games that say, hey, this is where we're going. And, yeah, you know, that I think that's always exciting for anyone when you know you just have a place where you can go share your passion with. Yeah, who's uh, so speaking of passion, you know, within this game, uh, there, uh, clearly you have a passion for your team. You have a passion for your alma mater, that being Granite City. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest league in the world is the EPL. Right. So where does your passion lie there? Yeah. It's and be careful because whatever your answer is, it could determine the length of this podcast. <laughs> well, um, you know, for the first time in a while, I think I can be proud to say Arsenal. Um, uh, okay. Well, yeah. enjoy your flight back. <laughs> um, tell your wife and kid, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no. it, 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 you know what? my? Uh, you know that's a cranky team, right? Well, I, I liked him before Kroenke took over, <laughs> and it's really hurt that he's taken over that team yeah. and own it. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, if I didn't just love Arsenal and how they played and, and that, I, I if I was fickle, I would have switched on that. You know, both my sister and my dad, they, they can't stand Arsenal. They're Tottenham fans. Oh, well, you know what? Fair enough, because Tottenham is, I mean, that, that they're like, what, Belleville East? No offense yeah, to Belleville right. West. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when you watch that, that team with Vieira, Burkamp, I mean, yeah. it was really enjoyable to watch, and they, they made me a fan, and, and, and I've stuck with them, and it's been some tough times, but I feel like we're back. And, and Well, you know, I mean, I, I got I to be somewhat transparent. I'm a Chelsea guy, and I've been a Chelsea guy since 90. So much kind of the opposite you know i was a chelsea fan and then a russian billionaire came along which was g- kind of a good end result right. you know you you were an arsenal fan and then came cronky and you just stomached through it um but i gotta admit the uh amazon prime show you know where they we yeah i'm drawing a blank on the name of the show but they did city first and then they did arsenal yeah and it was this you know an incredible focus on arteta in particular I watched the whole thing and I'm like in the closet, an Arsenal fan because of that show, because of Arteta in particular. What, you know, what, one, did you see the show? And two, what do you think of Arteta? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen several episodes and, uh, you know, I do think it's made Arsenal a little more likable, especially some of the players. Um, Yeah, you know, one, I didn't know Arteta was that good of an artist. Uh, Unbelievable drawer. And, and, you know, some of the times you think some of his things, uh, comes off cheesy, but the players you can tell really enjoy playing for him and listen to him, and you know that's ultimately your job as a coach is, is can you connect with the team and get them yeah. in the direction you want, and he's obviously done that. And he's a brilliant communicator. Yeah, like really the way that he utilizes not only his narrative, you know, eyeball to eyeball and talking, but the way he uses the boards. And I was I was just really really impressed. And you know, um, in your experience. 
um, you know, within as a player and your own personal coaches, and then as a coach with peers and as an assistant with heads, et cetera. Is there anybody that you've worked with that had that kind of je ne sais quoi, that, that, that wow characteristic that you that stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Caleb Porter, I worked with him for quite a few years, and, you know, especially at the college level where I worked with him, he had an unbelievable presence and, and could really get the feel of that locker room and, and get it in the direction they needed to win. And, you know, that's kind of what propelled him to the pro ranks and, and you know. Having coached at the pro level, that's a whole different animal. But for me, like when I was with him, I was like, "Wow, this is obviously different." Haven't yeah, haven't seen anybody done like that up to this point, and, and obviously that helped me in my career as well. Well, I, I've got I've got to ask you because you've obviously you've really ran the gamut. Um, you know, sh- sh- short of MLS within the American landscape, d- you know, you're coaching at the highest level, D1. You you, you know, you grew up in Granite City playing there I, I gotta ask about coach baker and your kind of uh remembrance of him as a coach and has was was his style or anything he did do you see that do you do you replicate that in in your own uh actions today yeah i think with coach baker is so intimidating um as a player growing up because when i got there he was already practically a legend and i think now that i've gone away from granite and coach longer i appreciate more how he was as a coach you know and and absolutely you you take everything i think uh maybe one of my best things i've done is is try to learn from everybody i've been a part of and worked with and been humble in that regards and with him it's it's obviously the mental toughness you had to have you know the fitness level the you know responsibility to to how you're supposed to play and <laughs> discipline your role you had a yeah. role <laughs> and, and if you didn't do your role you knew he was going to tell you about it yeah and, and that to me you know was one of the many things that i like and and just how tough he was like look here's the standard here's how we want to play you want to play you get to there yeah right? don't don't give me anything else like you got to get there. I, true story about, uh, I don't know, maybe three years ago, four years ago, uh, I was <clears throat> coaching Beckett's team. Um, actually, I was coaching both my son's teams at the time and running the practices. And I always t- I always told myself, like, because I, I had a love-hate relationship with Baker, way more love in hindsight. The hate was me being a, a foolish teenager that thought he knew better. Um, but his coaching methods and really that, that discipline, like you, you have certain instructions, don't break the rules and we'll do, and we'll do just fine. And <laughs> coaching these, uh, probably at the time they were 13 on the older and 10, 11 on the un- under passing drills, right? Inside the foot, inside the foot, real simple. Right. Don't use the outside of your foot. And then I would threaten them in practice. Like if you use the outside of your foot, right. you're coming out. <laughs> You know, either the pass makes it or you might as well just run my way. And I'm saying it to these kids and they're all staring at me like, yeah, but FIFA is like, (laughs) you know, and but I, you know, I think about that discipline and, you know, the results spoke for themselves, you know, and I'm just wondering how you apply kind of player discipline and balance that with kind of the creativity that these kids have today. You know where 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 do you stand on 
letting the creativity flow versus your system and you know how do you coach through that yeah what i tell my team is look we have to have structure we have to have how we're gonna you know basically the blueprint of what we want to do and when you understand essentially of how we want to play with the ball without the ball then the freedom comes right you know if you're going to try to get freedom first and then get into structure then you get it doesn't work so yeah I'm like look this is how we want this is the framework understand that so your teammates know what to expect from you mm-hmm. you know what to expect from your teammates and then within that you guys will understand the freedom that will come from the understanding of all of it coming together you know and i think it's just getting kids like uh once you get them on the same page, you can create those teams that that when people watch it, then they say, oh, man, that looks like a fun team to play, creative, a lot of freedom. But yeah. you start where you're almost real strict, right? Because they got to get the basics down. They got to get the understanding down of what you want to do. So it's just you're just not open to. Well, and that leads everything. to um, uh, inner squad trust. You know, whenever, whenever everybody's playing a particular style and they know that within the style, each player, you know, is, is expected to make certain choices, right? Um, you know, in your world, possess the ball from, you know, what we were discussing earlier and what you're kind of describing now. Don't turn the ball over. Possess it, move it around, keep moving. You know, so if you're playing within that system and you're fully expecting to receive the ball eventually, right. <laughs> you're moving to get open. You know, and, and 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 that's that's so tough because these kids today are they're so much faster. They're so much more. Their touch is just incredible, and the ability to do special things is 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 all the way through the ranks, right? right. So it's you know, kudos to you for kind of leading that way. Let's go backwards a little bit. Let's you know, because we kind of skipped over how it all happened. Um, I, you know, I know enough to be dangerous. You know, you're a couple of years younger than me. You took off. I believe you went to Indiana, Wesleyan. Yes. Yeah. And then out of Indiana, did you go straight into coaching at MOBAP? Right away. Yep. Okay. So t- talk about those years and working through the assistant days and, you know, when you took over as the head coach. Yeah. Uh, once I got out of playing, like, uh, <clears throat> And my mom said, hey, you know, if you want to come back home, Missouri Baptist is looking for a graduate assistant. I'm like, all right. You know, I didn't really have any other great leads, so I just called the coach, and uh, it's Juan Pablo Favero. He's now the head women's coach at the University of Oakland um, in D1 in Michigan. And he's like, look, no one's called me as much as you. If you want, come on in. Let's have an interview. <laughs> he's like, we got to do both teams. I'm, you know, men's and women's coach. And I was like, fine. I was like, look, I – I just want to work, get in the game, whatever you need me to do, right? And, you know, I don't think the expectations for GAs to work very hard was was very high. So for me, it was like, look, I grew up here, so it's, it's great to go watch, you know, the, the CBC, the Chaminade, the SLU, you know, that four-little team tournament, go back, watch Granite Games, see any diamonds in the rough that may want to go to a smaller school in St. Louis. And, right. You know, then coach both teams and, and – you know, the advantage of coaching both teams is just more hours training. Like you, you gotta, you gotta get out there. You gotta coach. You gotta communicate. You gotta say, wait a minute, I don't like that. I didn't. I don't feel like I came across well. You gotta have someone else tell you, like, look, you gotta have more personality here. You gotta right. speak up. And and then uh, from there, I just, you know, more mutual friends. You know, Justin Brene uh, working with at the time Metro. 
club. And he introduced me to, to Dale Shilley, and I just asked, the, hey, can I coach in the evening? So, you know, what I tell people, like, if you're, you're getting a soccer coach for money, I'm like, you get out. You know, <laughs> I started making six grand, and then I was just happy to make two, three grand on the side coaching Metro, and I was up, you know, at the office by 8 a.m., and I was back home by 9 p.m., right. pretty much for 11 months of the year. And, you know, what happened with Dale, he's like, hey, we got this 18B team. I can't get anyone to coach it. Why don't you coach it? Like, And I think what made me different and helped is most most people say, no, I want an A team. I'm coaching college. Give me an A team. Let me work with the best. I was like, I need experience. Yeah. Love to take the B team. I'm like, I probably make mistakes with the B team. <laughs> yeah. Right? Nobody well, will notice. <laughs> like, you know, we can kind of work at this together. I'm a 22, 23-year-old coach. And right. B team, awesome experience. Great kids. Got them to State Cup, won a couple games. Got a lot of the kids to stay. They love that. And then Dale's like, hey, you've done a really good job with the team that we've struggled to keep. Why don't you just work with me with the A teams? You know, you keep the B team the second year and you, you be my assistant. Like great, I must have Dave Fernandez, Dale Shilley. I must have annoyed the hell out of him. Yeah. Hey, question after question, like, what are you guys seeing here? Why do you guys do this? Just learning. Yeah. And then I'd go back. You coached your two teams, and you know, I had the opportunity at at 24 when Juan Pablo left. They split the programs, and thankfully, thought I did a well enough job that they they hired me for the men's team. But uh, I stayed coaching club. I'm like I need I need to coach, yeah. you know, and and I don't I don't feel like I understand the game, and I don't think you ever get to that point as a coach. But you know, but through Dale, he got me to Indiana soccer camp as a staff coach, and that's kind of where I met Caleb Porter. And you know, uh, my, I remember this my first year there. I called Coach Yeagley, said, "Hey, look, I just had knee surgery, you know, a month ago." He's like, "Oh, don't worry about it. You have an open invitation. You can coach next year." I go, no, coach, long as you're okay with me on crutches, I'll be I'm, there. I'm coaching. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. Right. right. Well, are you sure? You know, you know, I was like, he's like, I may not be able to get you to and from. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll get there. I'll, I'll do what I have to do. So I'm coaching on crutches my first IU camp. And Caleb Porter was my, my uh, you know, basically group coordinator coaching U12s. And, you know, in camp, I was coaching a flat back four for my camp team. He's like, why are you doing that? Like, because that's the best way to play out of the, you know, defensively. Like with a back <laughs> did, four. He's like, did what? you not get the memo? <laughs> he's like, why would you not? He's like, yeah, but it's camp. You know, this was back in the day where, where still was some sweeper, stopper sure. type things. This is how old we, I am these days. And my team won the week. Nope, not really a big deal, but I think it was just, hey, this kid's going to come on crutches, going to try to work really hard in a camp setting where most people go to just yeah. the evening and that and just to get the supplemental pay yeah and he's like there, there's something different there and i think that kind of stuck with caleb and i you know, worked a couple of u camps and then when i was going here missouri baptist was going well when i think we took him to the regional finals farthest they've been when, when i was head coach and then you know caleb lost an assistant and he you know called me and i was almost didn't take the call because anytime he calls me it's like hey, what about this recruit in St. Louis? I'm like, yeah, it's a guy I can never get. You guys should go get him. You know, He's, not, he's good. <laughs> yeah. you know, it'll be something like that. And then he's like, hey, I lost an assistant. Would you be interested? I'm like, you know, yeah, let me – how long do I have? He's like, well, you got about 24 hours. 
yeah. I need to know if you want the job in 24 hours. Or, you know, so, you know, going from head coach and, and that, I was like, look, University of Akron, great opportunity to move to a higher level. Kayla's been at a winning program as a player. I'm like, you're only going to learn and be better. Yeah. What are you waiting for? You know. At what year was this when you were? It would have been 2007. Okay. In like the, the you know, uh, springtime. And so I said, you know, it's like when you're like uh, almost dating a girl. Like, well, how long do I wait to tell him I want to go? If I do yeah. I sound too <laughs> eager, if I call him right yeah, back. Yeah, you play too hard to get, eventually yeah. you lose the get. Should I wait to the 23rd hour? Or, you know, yeah. I'm like, don't be stupid. Just don't make this complicated. If you want to just call him back and, right. and take it. So um, I did that, and that got me kind of my big break at, with him. And, you know, everybody always asks, like, you know, average player – What'd you do? I was like, well, look, I I never really said this is where I want to go. I just said I want to be the best coach I can be. I want to learn as much as I can, and I'll coach as much as I need to coach to to get better. Yeah. And I said, for you know, it's not like I went from my playing weight and and you know put on weight because I just ate a lot. I was like, no, you're coaching. 12 hours a day, you got 30 minutes to get from one place to the other, and you have an A, you're stopping at McDonald's. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and that stuff comes back and bites you. And when you don't have training time, it's not like, hey, I want to go work out. You know, hey, I don't have a training time. Maybe I can go hang out with friends, have a little bit. But I go for the longest point. You know, I, I just grinded. Yeah. And never with the <clears throat> expectations of anything. Like, it was, I loved it. Hopefully, my players respect enjoy playing for me how do i want to play the game was the first part of it you know like right we talked about arsenal i'm like can i coach and make a team play like that right and then then you 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 know watch you learn you ask thankfully i've been around a lot of people that have been able to reciprocate kindness and and talk to me about their you know journey and, and help me along the way and even when I got to Akron, you know, you're working a ton of hours, you know, for a very good program. I went and coached the Cleveland Internationals, who would be a team in the U.S. Development Academy. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, I was fortunate enough, 2010, we went to the finals. But uh, e- even then, until I became head coach of the University of Akron, I was still coaching in the evenings after my college job. People ask me why you're making good money as an assistant. I'm like... Well, I want to be a head coach. So at some stage, yeah. the way I communicate, the way I train <clears throat> is going to dictate my wins and losses, my job security. I go as an assistant. You're always in behind the head coach. You don't always have to communicate. You don't have to have tough conversations yeah. all the time. And I'm like, I need to work on that. I need to stay sharp on that. I need to – because communication and training and, and – Getting the players to not only buy into what you're doing, but believe in you is a big part of being successful. And, you know, so I tell people, you know, if you weren't a great player, you got to start at the bottom and you got to just grind grind and and network and talk to people. And I said, at the end of the day, you can't set a timetable on when a break will happen. You got to be happy where you're at. Those kids that you're coaching got to believe. Yeah. And you, that you're not looking to just use them and get on the next step. They're too smart for that. They'll, they'll see it. And yeah, I, I don't even ever believe that my end goal when I got into coaching is to be where I was at. It wasn't. I just really enjoyed it. And I've been really fortunate now to, to be in this position. And I still really 
enjoy what I do and we'll yeah, because because you, you're going on year nine or you just finished yeah, year nine. Finished <clears throat> ten. So I I, I glanced through um, the Mobap days and in, in your Akron days. The, the the stat that stood out to me was you have the exact same win percentage, like literally within one basis point mm-hmm. from both schools. <laughs> you know, so it's there's a lot of consistency there. And then I think, correct me if I'm wrong, six out of ten years at Akron you've won the conference uh, yeah, or finished I first. I, I don't know. Like uh, on our conference, we we you know haven't always thought about judging ourselves that way. More about Final Fours and been yeah, to, been to three. The head coach and, and two as an assistant, so you know that's kind of our mark there. Uh, but yeah, I think it's six, six or seven of the ten. Yeah, and now you guys are moving into Big East, correct? Yeah. So where's 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 your mindset that, uh, with that? Because that's a much different conference. Um, uh, clearly, it carries a lot of that. You know, the, just that name pizzazz. Um, so that's going to be your conference games, home and away. Or does yeah. does it play home and away? Well, we'll play. Uh, I think there's 12 teams, so we'll play. They put it into a west and an east, so we're okay. in the west, and we'll play all of it, them once a year, and then we'll play three cross bracket games in a conference tournament. So we'll play then, eight games. And then, what's your uh, out of conference teams looking like for next year? Or can yeah. can you say so far? No, right now we're looking <clears throat> at like Notre Dame, uh, Florida International. Uh, those are probably the headliners. Um, you know, Vermont is another one. Uh, Michigan, those are ones. And then, then, you know, I've always had a schedule that non-conference was very difficult because the conference wasn't as difficult. So this year, you know, we, we put in some more games that hopefully we should win. And then trying to navigate the conference for, for the life of me in my 10 years as head coach at Akron. The, you know, you're kind of expected to win conference, but your measuring stick was always postseason. Tournament, yeah. So, you know. Everybody kind of got, whether you won conference or not, as long as you can win in the conference tournament or get a berth at large, nobody really cared. Now, now the Big East, it seems like there'll be more emphasis on doing well in the conference because of the prestige of it. So, you know, there's going to be a learning curve on how we navigate that and still want to be successful. I'm, sure. My staff is like, all right, this is only going to make us better for the postseason, right, and, and give us a better chance. Typically – you know, it's always more difficult when your best games are in September and then the tournament's in November. Right. You're missing out on some quality games that help you prepare. Now we'll we'll kind of flip it. We'll have some very difficult games, you know, leading into the tournament that I think will help very, prepare us uh, better. Very hockey-esque <clears throat> in so much that, you know, you're wanting to, you're wanting to be the hot team going into the playoffs, right? Um, so t- talk a little bit about, you know, you, you, being being at the D1 level, you know, you you have pressure from below from a recruiting standpoint, and then you have pressure from above uh, from a draft standpoint, from a placement standpoint. Not that you need players to be drafted to the MLS or to go overseas, et cetera, for your program to succeed, but that does add to kind of the brand identity and the ability to recruit on the other end of the spectrum. How, how, how do you how do you navigate uh, that process? How, how are you very involved in the recruiting process? Uh, where are you on the post collegiate days for some of your players? You know, what what do you do in the before and after stages? Yeah, I think you know you want 
to be coaching at a program where players believe they can come to develop and you know reach their goals of, of being a professional right you know I think you want to be in that mix of teams that are considered a really good place to go to for that um, you know you, you don't necessarily have to have that to be successful at the college level but the way we've done it at Akron is, is our style of play and our ability to develop players and, and put them in good opportunities at the next level has been a big part of our success and you know, beforehand, you're looking for players that, you know, are probably close, you know, close to being it and maybe not coming to school. Are you looking for guys that you know may have the potential but need a different opportunity, maybe, you know, like, like everybody, that may need a change of position and have, they have to learn it somewhere sometimes. Like, you can't right. just do that at the next level. And Are you looking for guys that you just feel are underdeveloped? You know, and that you believe in from watching them that you know they haven't reached their potential, and depending on their character, they may be able to. You may be able to help them. Well, so get, give me an idea of the difference in kind of the recruiting process. Um, you know, because coming out of college, your your early years starting at MoBAP, you know, and working with the club. I mean, clearly that's you know those are still high school kids. But in those years, that's really, there were MLS academies, there were, you know, kind of, quote, academy teams in general. Um, and you fast forward to today, where you have exponentially more MLS academies, you have, you know, the usual suspects in the IMGs of the world, uh, and more importantly, you have these showcases, um, GA Cup, Dallas, etc., where they're all there. You know, talk. You know, how different is was the recruiting process? You know, you know, date you a little bit. You know, if 18, 20 years ago to now. In uh, you know, how do you find them? Where do you go? You know, how much easier is it today, or or is it easier today? Is it more competitive today? Yeah, I think you know, eighteen years ago, um, when I was at Missouri Baptist, you you looked for anybody that you thought was a good player. It didn't matter about uh, size, pace, whatever. Can they see the game a certain way? Like for me there, they can fit in how you play there, right? Especially as an American player, you know, Missouri Baptist, heavily more international where guys don't. You can maybe get a good player because they have just the opportunity. They don't really know anything about U.S. soccer or how it works. Um, when I got to Akron my first couple of years, we were able to get some national team kids, you know, and, and a lot of these guys, like Zarek Valentin, and some of these guys are still playing, Darlington Nappy, all these guys, Teal Bunbury. You know, you knew if you saw a kid in the, those showcases at that time, they're all coming to school still. Yeah. Very few turn pro. Now we're sitting here, and we'll go watch uh, St. Louis City, and we may think, hey, they're top two, three players who normally have a shot at. Well, now they're out of the mix. They're signing, potentially. So now you're looking at maybe their third through their seventh play. Well, now those guys may be going to the two team. Are yep. you going to get them? Well, eight to ten, they're still good players, but are they players that year one can come in and make a difference and, and you know, get you over the hump? Might not be, you know. Yep. They'd have to be very selective. So now you're you're trying to piece together your holes with the best options out there, and, and it's just gotten more competitive with the number of pro teams and number of pro options to maybe find an impact freshman that, that's an American kid, 
know, so. so do you do you then <clears throat> just from a geographical standpoint, like a strategy standpoint, you know, because we we we're both familiar with where these academies are. The easy thing is they're in the city of the MLS team, so you know that. But then you have marketplaces like uh, Tulsa, uh, Omaha, these kind of what I would consider second or third tier cities. But there are soccer populations, you know, everywhere. Are you, do you have a process to dig into those areas? Because those kids, the very, very few of them that have the quality and the ability to play for a City SC or a Chicago Fire Academy, they don't have the logistics. Right. You know, they can't move. So have you shifted, kind of maybe digging in the dirt a little bit for talent? You try. Um, you really try it. Everywhere, the problem is the resources you have to go and do that. Like, you know, when you look at some of the ECNL level, the lower tier levels, it's, you know, I think you're going to play for us. I go watch you play. At my expectations is that it'd be fairly obvious you're above the level at that. And if you're not, maybe it's a bad day for you, but it might be the only day I can see you. And then you might be gone. And we, we may make a mistake, but. We basically have a limited opportunity to see everybody either through budgets or just time. Yeah. Right. With the way these things are set up, but you you know you hope you have built some contacts in some of those places where you can reach out. And in fairness, the minimalist academies now are are digging in those areas and getting those kids into their clubs. Oh too. yeah. And it's uh, it's very rarely you you go watch uh, you know Seattle Sounders. It's it's still a bunch of kids maybe farther away from Seattle than near that that area yeah you know, they've done a really good job at some of these kid places of bringing kids in like we have a Columbus crew kid coming in next year he's from West Virginia you know what so was he did he transplant or was he I mean that's too far to commute but yeah host families all this yeah. so it's, it's you know you got you got some of these options where we found kids in the past that that have placed themselves in academies and that's helped us find them as well. It's just a little bit more, you know. It's not at not only are you competing with other top colleges or any colleges for these players, you're also competing against these two teams or that. And, and you have a lot of conversations with parents about, hey, well, why shouldn't we sign a two-team deal? Why why would college be it? I'm like. Depends on how you you want to look at it. Like, do you? Yeah. Okay. okay. What are you looking yeah. at? Like, you know what? I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because we're 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 pretty far away from even the potential of that kind of conversation. We we meet meaning my family, my son. Um, he's eighth grade, right? Um, but just hypothetically pretend that you're sitting at this table and. It's a academy player, and they're on the bubble between a city two or you know that that USL team and a D one offer from a top 10, 15 team like an Akron, right? What's 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 the pitch? You know how how what how do you speak to that? And what's the value add? Whether it's you know Akron or a SLU or an IU or whoever. I think it starts with like, well, what is the actual offer? Are they just giving you a two-team offer, no first team, right? So it's only a two-contract. 
Like at the end of the day, if you take that two contract at 17, you basically allow them to have low risk because the money ain't going to be great that they offer you. And they'll give you two years to make it. And I'm like, you come to us, you get to play for a top program, you get to continue to develop. Worst case scenario is you get that two-team offer a couple years later. You might be more physically, more emotionally ready for it. I'm like, and best case scenario is you've developed leverage on that team because other people have seen you play and like you that they can't offer you a two-team deal and get you. They can't yeah. offer you a first-team deal. Right. Yeah. Because now so and so has seen you play, and they like it. They'll take you. And they may lose what what they work with. Like it's, you know. So I was like, tell them, do you want to have more time and leverage in your court, or do you want to give it all to the club? Yeah. Because guess what? You get injured in one of those two years. Well, they probably already have recruited another 17 year old that they may want to say, oh, let's give this kid a shot. And if he takes that shot, even if you're a really good player, you're on the outs. Right. You know, I was actually talking to one of the MLS clubs not too long ago, and they said, hey, we should have sent this kid to you. He's at the end of his second year. He's about to be done. And he shouldn't be done playing soccer or now having to figure out what he's going to do. He could have gone to you. You could have got him more ready for what he, we needed him to be ready for yeah. two years ago. Yeah, because once they do that, there is no – you can't go backwards. Can't go back. Yeah. I've already said, like, you know, the NCAA has been look, – we've been looking as coaches to make this – uh, full season, right? I said, look, that's nice. There's some holes in that for me. We have some bigger things, and for me, the bigger thing is this. Like, how are we going to navigate these two teams? Maybe USL one. I'm like, in the day, can we convince the NCA if they haven't played in the MLS or USL championship or USL one? It's his own thing. If they're going to play MLS next pro for a two team and never play an MLS game, they should be able to come back to school. Yeah. You know, like, we shouldn't, that, that's a developmental league that is under the pro umbrella, but it's not really a pro league. Like, a lot of the teams have just taken their 19. They, they should just categorize every contract as an NIL contract, right? <laughs> I mean, because it's like the international kids. You get the international kids that get, you know, that extra gap here and that, and then if they've gotten certain expenses and don't, go over the threshold they can still come back and be eligible i said we should set a mark with that and just say hey look you know if a kid so excited to be a pro wants to be a pro and you can't convince them and think logically you know then let him go try it and at two years if it's gone let's not take away his whole whole choices of yeah. life you know let's let's you know support these kids because you know at the end of the day i still tell people unless you're going to make it over a big league in europe you're still going to make more money with your college degree than you will playing soccer. Yeah. You know, the money ain't there. It's not football. It's not basketball yet where, you know, you sign a multi-million dollar deal. You're going to have to play. A lot of those guys are going to have to play eight to ten years to make, you know, over a right. million or a couple million, you know. And even then, that's not going to be enough. No, that's not, that's not long-term planning. <clears throat> that's short-term fun. And you are a pro, and you are getting played, paid to live and play a game you love. But you know that's that's not. You gotta have to work, and there's only so many of those players that are gonna be put back into coaching. Yeah. Put back, and you know maybe fortunate for me that there wasn't that many pro teams, so I got some opportunities maybe than all these guys that are now. 
either having to pay for their own school somehow and get a degree and moving to something else, or right. they're getting into coaching or some administrative role at these clubs for, for whatever money just to make ends meet. And, yeah. You know, so I just try to tell them, I'm like, look, if you're 18 and you get a first-team offer, that that's a whole different animal. You can go a lot of different directions from that. That that should be highly considered. Yeah. They're offering you a two-team deal. They, they like you, but they're not willing to – assert much risk with you they'll give you two years to make it at whatever price they say you've given them all the, the power of your career yeah like and i'm like here you got even if you don't make it people gotta understand very difficult to make it there's nothing wrong with not making it good if you can get a degree and get somewhat of your education paid for and lessen that cost and get you off to a head start in life you're, you're further along than most people yeah and you got a nice little rolodex Right. You got a uh, a fraternity of a different type of fraternity, right? Right. So, well, I tell you what, as you can tell, um, and those of you that are listening, starting to get a little chirpy here in the background, which is a good thing because we're in a soccer pub. That means, based on uh, the kits I see sitting in the bar, it looks like Aston Villa. In fact, it is. Villa is about to play Leeds here shortly. So, uh, beers are running low here. Looks like it's. Uh, hot and they're evaporating so we need to get them refilled um so we'll be right back here in just a second jared thanks for your time i'll, I'll uh, we'll get some refills and um we'll talk a little bit more soccer you cool with that yeah absolutely all right man talk be right back hey everyone jb here with the soccer dad pod this break is intended to be both informative and an opportunity Little did you know that we are accepting sponsors, really. And as a sponsor of the show, you would get to talk to a demographic primarily consisting of parents, some soccer fans, and most definitely drinkers. Consider this an opportunity to let our listeners and social media followers know what it is you do and why you deserve some of their money. If interested in this incredible opportunity, just email us at soccerdadpod at gaslightstl.com now back to the mindless banter okay people we are back I got another uh, KC classic for you Jared kind of remind you of like summertime and Rolling over to Paddlers or the Park Pool. Oh, Paddlers for sure. <laughs> Go get yourself a little weather vane ice cream. <laughs> or on Friday, well, Fridays, Fridays, two things uh, Marco's Fish and KC95, right? Right. <laughs> well, we're back, uh, rolling in with a little, uh, as I just mentioned, KC Classic, a little Van Halen. Um, without KC95, Van Halen does not have the career they had, period. <laughs> um, the, 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 the iconic Crestwood McDonald's photo and uh, being able to fill up the Checker Dome all those times yeah, blew them up, right? Um, so we're back. Got, got some refills um, down here at Amsterdam Tavern. Uh, we came in here, and I believe we were the only two in here at uh, as we kicked this thing off. And now, I don't know, 15, 20 people all wearing their kits. And it's, it's fun. It's fun to come to a place like this and, you know, 
two two teams that most average soccer fans have no clue who they are, and everybody in here knows every player on the field. Yeah. Used so, to like the Leeds teams back when they had uh, Mark Viduka. Oh yeah, Harry Kuehl. Those were fun teams. Yeah, you know it. It's it's kind of ironic that they're on because one of the things I wanted to kind of be sure and talk about with you was your take on U.S. soccer um, in general from a, a big picture viewpoint, um, specifically in regards to the World Cup, uh, our performance going into it, coming out of it, the player issues, yeah, and obviously now U.S. Uh, soccer's trying to decide what to do uh, with the head coaching position. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things going on with, quote, U.S. soccer right now. Uh, you know, and, and the fact that Leeds is on, you know, with the players they have, uh, Tyler and, um, uh, oh my God, Pennsylvania boy. Aaronson. Thank you. Um, playing such a role on, on that team, you know, and, and, and really so many American players right now in the EPL in particular are becoming not just novelty, but relevant role to impact players. You know, Pulisic recently was one of the more so uh and then you look at uh st louis boy tim marines right what he um, <laughs> you know what it, what they did yesterday to my guys um fulham looks great and he's a big reason for that so that's a lot of like random statements in regards to u.s soccer and players so let's just simplify this um Grade U.S. soccer right now. Grade, you know, this is a three-part quiz. How are we from a player standpoint? How are we from a system standpoint? And how are we from a coaching standpoint? Yeah, player standpoint, I think it's it's definitely the future is, is on the up. You know, we have a lot of guys, like you mentioned, playing in very good leagues. And that, that's the key. And I think that's only getting better and more people are coming and looking over at American players. So I think, you know, for a young American player, there's no better time than now. The opportunities are a lot better. Uh, they're getting chances in big leagues and, and the talent is there. Yeah. From a system standpoint, I mean, the way U.S. soccer runs thing, I think, needs a lot of work. You know, and, and you could just tell by the whole ordeal after the World Cup, a lot of like just good old boys club. Yeah, you know, and, and who's going to take this and say, "Hey, let's let's look at this from U.S. soccer and let's do what's best and, and let's provide opportunities." That, you know, even from the youth level, I still think there's a lot of growth that can do to even, you know, double, triple the output of players we're doing now. And you know, coaching standpoint, I mean, look, I just look at how we did in the World Cup. It's I don't think we did anything that nobody expected us. I think. We beat the teams we should have beat. We lost to the teams that we thought we ended right. in the round. People thought we would end in. Right. If you want to call the draw against England a positive step, I don't know. I yeah. mean, it, it's, at some point we have to win those games. Right. And at the end of the day, if you're playing better than you thought you would play against the Netherlands, that's not the answer. The answer is, can we play that way and get the result we want to get or need to get in a knockout stage? And yeah. I just think of how we built up in the tournament. CONCACAF was down, and I don't think we played enough good games to prepare them for those games. And, and the games we did play, we didn't do well in. Well, one of the things that annoyed me during the World Cup, uh, especially towards the end of the World Cup, as all the teams were kind of rolling through their destinies, is how many times 
did you see, because it annoyed me every time, the, the whether it was Twitter or wherever it was, the reference to our last friendly, we beat Morocco. You know, and and clearly Morocco had a tremendous run, um, exhibited kind of a, a depth that nobody expected them to have, and really a style of play that everybody's like, shit, that's that's good. Um, but in typical American style, you know, that arrogant American in all of us to a degree, referencing that game just, like I said, it irritated me as I saw because it's like. It doesn't matter. Like it, literally, if you if you zoom out from the score of that screenshot, somewhere on that screen it says friendly, not relevant. It said friendly, right? Right. So my frustration is, it, we need relevant wins, not just to compete. You know. And I, my question to you is, being so close to the game at such a high level, do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever get irritated with U.S. soccer? You know, after all of these years and, you know, we see the talent and we think that we could put an 11 on the field to, to theoretically compete with anybody. Does it, does it bother you? Yeah, I, I think you want... We should be at the stage where we're talking quarterfinals, right? You know, and, and maybe semifinals. That, you know, just feels like... We leave thinking a knockout stage, first game, exit, we've, we've progressed. Because we failed to make a World Cup we should have made four years ago, right? And two Olympics. So because we lowered the bar four years ago, now the bar is back to being raised when the reality is we're no further than we were 15, 16, 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, maybe even a step back in terms of getting these results. And, and the players are playing in better leagues, so the results should follow. So where's the disconnect and why we can't translate guys playing in bigger roles for better teams and tougher leagues to, to results we need for the national team? Is it coaching? Is it the U.S. soccer system? It's probably yeah. a combination of both. And, yeah. You know, I, I think for us, what, what I always think is the most difficult thing for U.S. is because it's so big. You could take, you know, a Latino coach, and he could put together a really good U.S. national team with predominantly Latino players. Correct. So what is our identity? <clears throat> right? So how you, do we mesh all these different cultures? I, what is it? You are preaching to the choir. I have repeatedly argued that our issue – well, let me back up a little bit. Another comment – that irritates me all to hell is when people say we need the best athletes. <laughs> That's not it. We've got we've got tremendous athletes that are playing the game. I've always said our issue is our size, our issue is our demographic variations, uh, our regional differences, um, because the style of play, as you well know, uh, at the level that you're coaching. You go up to the Northeast, there's a particular style. You move into the Southwest, there's a whole other style of play. You get into Texas, that even has a different style of play that is a combination in all those areas of the ethnic makeup of these teams, of these clubs, of the coaches, um, the size, the physicality, you know, because we are truly a melting pot. And I think that hurts us in the global game. So... If you, if you and I are on the same page there, how do you fix that? Like, let's say, that you know, U.S. soccer comes to you and says, hey, look, Jared, you, you killed it. Akron, love everything you've done. 
replicate that in our world, what do you need first? What do you do? You, you got to hire someone, you know, I think at the technical director that from the bottom up gets everything on the same page to where we don't just fight each other all the time at the youth levels, you know, at that. I, I think I would start there, and I think for the national team, who's the players you can't play without? Build it around their strengths. Okay. Know, so in their weaknesses, right? So okay, so that, you said the way you, 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 do it. you said it. Who are the three players we cannot play without right now that are under the U.S. umbrella? Well, for me, there's only one, and that's the problem. We don't have three. There's only one. Oh, tricky answer there. Who's the one? It's, it's Tyler Adams. You know, like, Pulisic, look, if you want to talk Pulisic, Gio Reyna, depending on form, that could flip for me really easily, right? Right. You, you got, obviously, we don't have a nine that we can consistently count on. Problem. The one guy you take out of the team and then, you know, when Tyler Adams is in there, we, we perform a little bit more consistently. We have a chance. You take him out, you know, like McKinney, you know, even Musa. Those are, those guys haven't dominated games or controlled games or done what they need to do at a high enough level to where they're indispensable. And I think that's maybe the bigger issue. You know, this guy that could come close to that is Tim Ream, but he's only been in the national team picture the last year and a half. Like, he's 35. Right. So it's like, you know, we got to develop more guys that – that maybe so now you're building the team around Tyler Adams and that's only one player and I know everybody loves Pulisic and he's just not Bro, for me Ben I, I, I don't enough. I don't which surprises so many people knowing that I'm a Chelsea fan in particular and obviously an American soccer lover um, I've always been suspect of Pulisic overall I mean early on I said, standing in this pub with all my other old-school Chelsea buddies, the issue is I think he gets injured too much. And here he is, yet again, injured again. I saw a He's missed 52 games under Chelsea to injury. And one of the things that irritates me when it comes to Pulisic in all of these big games, not only with Chelsea, but mo more uh, relevant to the conversation with the U.S. team, is game would have been different if he would have tapped that in, right? Think back to the Holland game. Two minutes in. Right. You know, a Holland, Erling Holland doesn't miss that goal against Holland. Pulisic did. Right. You know, so I've, I, I have a hard time with Pulisic. I do think Reyna, which I wanted to ask you about that situation, because it's so asinine, really. I mean, it's... Absolutely. I, I mean, it's embarrassing, <laughs> is really what it is. But in watching Gio enough, he's got that it. He had, you know, when he's when his switch is flipped to on, he's a world class player. Do do you see him as a potential world class player that can replicate that uh, uh, level for the national team in spite of, in lieu of everything that's just occurred? Yeah, and I've. I like him. If you would say, look, both of them are playing the best soccer they can personally play. You can only have one in the lineup. Are you taking I'm, – I'm taking Gio. I think all-around game. Sees passes. My, my problem with Pulisic isn't – injuries are an issue, but he misses passes. He misses putting yeah. other guys in. You know, he's too much head down. And, and 
that directness is a positiveness. It can be positive, but long as you have other guys that can see the pass that needs to be made. And national team don't have many of those players. And that, that to me, decision-making, vision, passing, yeah. we're off. And no, I, That's where we're off the level for me. We got the athletes that can run. We got some one-on-one guys. We got some dynamic. But we don't have the intelligence, the vision, the... You know that, and I think that's where Gio can maybe bring some of that to us. And, and obviously, he's coming off injuries, and his body's not developed, and he's adjusting physically to the pace of that level for 365 days a year. But if he can get it, I, I think his ceiling's higher. And, and he's the one that gets hurt the most through this parental oh squabble. <laughs> You know, it, it, is that really what you want to call it? A squabble? It, it, it's just like <laughs> it's like the good old boys club. It, oh my god! If they weren't so close, this is not a problem. Yeah. So if the Raiders don't feel like they can call a buddy and vent and talk to and, and be off the record. None of this happens. Yeah, you know, you, know uh, you, you were telling me a story earlier, and I don't know if it's okay to bring it up about the the team vote. Um, are we good to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so break break it down. So for those of you that are listening, you've, you've heard us reference it, and if you're a soccer fan, you know what we're talking about. Uh, Gio ran into an issue with Burhalter and the team going into the World Cup. Basically, yeah, you know, he said, she said, at the end of the day, it appears that they said, you're not really part of our plans. And tournament goes on, and then afterwards, the parents, in true soccer dad pod style... Uh, decide they're going to be like, I'm protecting my little Johnny, and he beat somebody, beat his wife years ago, right? That That's, right. in essence, what happened. Right. Um, w- tell, tell, tell the listeners what you did, uh, uh, this this questionnaire. What right. was it, and, and yeah. what were the results? When we got back with <clears throat> at my team at Akron in the spring, we, you know, asked some questions. You know, we're trying to get player ownership, so we asked them some things on thoughts on what they would like to see in the spring and on development and uh, in ways coaches can help. And then we always throw a fun question. Sometimes it's like, what's the best fast food? Is In-N-Out Burger better than... Sure, Whataburger. Yeah, yeah, Whataburger. Yeah. This time I was like, hey, it's on everybody's mind. Are you team Reina? you team Burhalter? Yeah. And we asked the team and come back and it's the team split 50-50. Exactly. Half the team thought, you know, for halters, and you know they'd be on his side on this whole saga and how it played out. And the other would be on Reina. That just epitomizes the worst thing that can happen is that's what's happened. They've split. The it's, a, it's almost like Congress, right? They split the country. <laughs> you know the players that are coming in. This is always going to be an issue, and, yeah. and the players have probably thought, "Hey, we've dealt with this. This is nothing." You want to go watch a pro team training? Guys upset. You may walk around. That's. They're pros. They have an ego. Sometimes that happens, and if the stories, no one knows the true stories other than the guys that were there. Yeah. But with what's come out, if Greg said that to Reina, then, yeah, 20-year-old, who isn't going to have a pouty moment? They called him out on it, fixed, problem done. He calls him out in the public. Why? That starts the whole trickle down, and then the Reinas yeah. think they can they call their buddies. Yeah. And now get strong on my own. Now we got this whole mess, and everybody's going to lose. You know, yeah. I don't I don't see how Greg can continue. I don't see how the Reinas are going to – Gio's got to build up a lot of trust, and, and he's going to take a lot of crap in the locker room for this. Well, I mean, he kind of has the path of least resistance at the end of the day because he's a player. You know, if, 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 if he simply says nothing 
trains and plays and trains and plays and puts Produces. out. That's it. Everybody will forget. He's that. fine. Burhalter, I agree. I. I don't see how you can ever come back from that because no matter what, every single press conference, you know, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, it will come up. Right. So and I'll argue this: like U.S. Soccer makes a decision on him sooner. Hey, you're out. You're in. Maybe none of this comes out. My opinion on what he said, how he said it, when he said it, sounded like a coach that was lobbying to be renewed. Yeah. Hey, this is a strong culture. This is what I created. This is how we handled a bad situation and turned it into the most positive U.S. national team, strongest team chemistry of any national team I've been a part of. It's yeah. lobbying for the job. Like, if they make a more decisive decision after the World Cup, like, hey, we're hiring you not, maybe he doesn't feel like he has to go there. Yeah. Feel it, like he's tooting his own horn. Like, I, I agree with you. It felt like politicking out of the gate. Um, and I'll go back to, you know, these these kids, these players at this level. You know, Geo is a special player. We 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 would agree on that. You're going into a tournament that you failed to qualify for. You hadn't played in eight years. It is the pinnacle of the sport at the national team level. Are you telling me you can't get over a little pouty preseason attitude when you have that kind of talent? I, that's the part that I don't understand. You know, and and. Not playing rain enough. It makes sense after the fact, but uh oh, almost go no go. But seeing him not play and in hindsight understanding why. But Aronson is the other player too that during the World Cup. Where were the minutes? Because it seemed as if every time he stepped on the field too, our energy, our effectiveness, and actually playing that high press, but being effective in the high press. We were better with him on the field. We were better with Reina on the field. And it's almost like Burhalter in making those decisions, was trying to say, no, nope, I got the system. Check it out. Well, I'll ask you this. How easy is it for you to make decisions when you've told your team, we're going to change the way everybody views American soccer? So yeah. now are you a possession team? What was... What is it that people view? What were you trying to change? Because that will dictate who you're calling in and, and choosing in this lineup. Well, I think part, part of that, too, is, you know, to answer your question to me, which I like whenever guests ask me a question. That's nice change of pace, by the way. Um, Americans that are either new to the game or just kind of the casual soccer fan, they don't know the difference in styles of play. You know, if I were to go to an average show out at Soccer Park on a Friday night and say, hey, can you give me an example of a high-press team? They're going to say, like, Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> you know, Coach K. Right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're not associating that. Right. So U.S. Soccer, you know, what we agreed upon earlier, we had this crisis in, in, in style, crisis in, you know, uh, our our what defines U.S. soccer from a playing style globally, you know, because you you, th you think of Brazil, you immediately think of just the beautiful game, creativity, and tremendous defense, which is the part that nobody wants to ever, like, remember, that Brazil, historically, on all those great teams, had the best defense in the world, right? And then you look at the Dutch total football, or you look at Germans with... You know that high long line, and they're just they're gonna they're gonna like German you, <laughs> very methodical. You know, uh, U.S. doesn't have that. So this whole thing of 
well, let's bring players in to fit our style, I call bullshit because it's the NFL draft. Bring our top 24 players, the best players, which ironically, not coincidentally, 23 of them are playing in Europe between England, Germany, and the Netherlands for the most part, right? So why don't we just go after a European coach? Uh, You know, for me, what is difficult about moving forward is now our best players have been coached by some of the best coaches ever. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And now having – I always believe a national team coach should be of that nationality because they understand this. And like I said before, what makes us different is you could have – you can have a national team that identifies with a different part of America. So at the end of the day, like, how who sees who our best players are and who can see how they can bring together and bring in players that can complement right. what our best players do. And like I said, for me, if I ask you, is our problem speed? Do we lack speed against the best countries? No. Do we lack skill? We're middle of the pack. Right. Do, do we lack decision-making? Yes. Right. Do we lack vision? Do we lack uh, mentality? Striker. Right. <laughs> we, we obviously lack certain things positionally, but when you talk about the athletic qualities, I don't think anybody would say U.S. lacks the athletic qualities to be the world's best. Yeah, you look at you look at guys like Musa. You look at uh, Zimmerman. You look at, I mean, take your pick. They're physical specimens. They They... Give them six, nine, twelve months. They can play professionally another sport, right? That that whole we need the best athletes to play. No, no, we don't. I I agree with you. Our biggest problem is on the mental side. It's on the strategic side. It's on the decision making side. We just you know you pointed it out with Pulisic, and you know, and I've I've probably seen more Pulisic games than most. Being a Chelsea fan, you you play on that team, Pulisic, and you have. Uh, behind you, you have a Mason Mount. You have, you know, a Reese James. You have Kai Havertz up in front of you. I mean, world class players. Get them the ball. Just get them the ball. That's all you have to do. And seventy percent of the time, he does not get them the ball. You know, and it should be easy. Theoretically, you playing on a team like that, it's different than playing on a team that has players that aren't in the right position or making the right run. So. I don't know, we could go on and on and on about that. One thing I want to, just a slight parallel conversation question area, um, being the local that you are, watching the World Cup, uh, how did it make you feel? Did you have a sense of pride? Did you have any connectivity emotionally when you saw, especially, you know, game one, where we had not one, but two St. Louis players, not only from St. Louis, but from the same club, from the same freaking high school starting in that game, you know, d- did that kind of make your uh, little butterflies or anything watching? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you said it earlier in the show, you know, you, we're from Granite City, 10 state championships. We know fully aware of how many we've won, and we're very uh, proud of that fact. And the same thing, we're, you know, when we tie ourselves with St. Louis, we're very proud of, of the history and tradition of St. Louis soccer and what it's done for us and how it's advanced the game to continue to see players from the area at the forefront of the game 
uh, for the national team is, is like, hey, I'm lucky. I grew up there. Yeah. Right. I feel like, yeah, maybe it's an arrogant statement. I feel like because I'm from St. Louis, I can speak on soccer more than any other American. Do, 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 you do you experience that when you travel around, you know, when you, you post game, um, you know, Akron v. Virginia, whoever, take your pick. You ever sit around having a bourbon with the coach afterwards? Does that does that come up? Does 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 the St. Louis pedigree in in your backbone? Do you, do you ever talk about that? You know, like if or have you been away too long? <laughs> I've been away a little bit long, but like when you talk to older people and the guys that are older in the game, and you bring that up, they immediately talk about the history of St. Louis. Whether it be whatever World Cup, they'll always bring up. You know, three, four players that yeah. they knew from the area that they played against or whatnot. You know, now now nobody wants to be friendly. You, you go play somebody after the game, you don't say anything for six months. <laughs> you, don't even, you can't even just say, hey, great game. I won. You lost. Let's have a drink. You got a hell of a team, right? Like, you know, that rarely happens these days. You yeah, know? I mean, you need to pull like Baker style. Just, just have a little Yeti mobile, you know, on the side and walk up for the handshake and hand them a yeah. cold bud, right? I mean, there's, there's probably, you know, I'd say three, four coaches that I know well enough to, no matter what the game is, if we're staying the night and going the next day, that they'll say, yeah, let's go hang out. Let's, That's good. You know, we could talk about it. We may not even talk about the game. They'll just be able to move it past, talk soccer. They just love the game, you know? Yeah, we'll do it. So it's... it's yeah. Yeah, it's you know, so there needs to be more of that, you know. Yeah, it's so you know. Obviously, I someone just walked by, shook their hand. They were on their way out. They're like, "Yeah, I'm ready. Whenever you're ready." Well, uh, that gentleman was uh, uh, Dave Lang. He's the um, our excuse me, Jim Leaker. That was Jim Leaker. I talked to Dave the other day. They both look similar. <laughs> Jim is the president of the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, Ex player, you know, talk about an uh, encyclopedia of knowledge. That's a that's the thing about St. Louis. You know, you, you you go to any place like this, East Side or West Side, where you know there's soccer players. Somebody's going to come through that's got a better story than you. You know, around the game, right? Um, let's get back to St. Louis here for a second. I want to talk about that a little bit more. You know, because today earlier before we met up, uh, you ran down. You were uh, invited down to check out the. The new training facility down at City, the 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 stadium, I had a conversation with the coach, some of the coaching staff. Um, give, give me give me your ten thousand foot view of your experience, you know what you saw, and you know what, what do you what do you what do you think about it moving forward? Yeah, the facilities at their place, I was blown away. Like to get everything downtown, like been around the world, been to a lot of training places, not only in the U.S. but. To have your stadium in a downtown area and your training is, is, you know, for a staff and players, it's an unbelievable blessing. And I think for the community, you guys should just really appreciate what has been done here for soccer. And, and the staff was welcoming. I mean, it was an awesome experience. They bring you in. They talk to you real friendly. You know, explain a little bit of what they're doing, and you just get to watch. And, and like I said, for me, it's, it's about trying to just – learn from people that do it as, as yeah. professionals that do it at were a high they, level were they poking around a little bit asking who you got coming up the pipe oh they, they a, a, little, a couple players i had a couple conversations about yeah some players i have have coming back and and guys that they have their eye on if they have a good year and and obviously you know 
there's a ton of players they can attract here and so it's always nice to have some that they're at least aware of and, and do do you do you have success do you work the market uh, i mean it's st louis from a prospect standpoint um you know obviously given your tie to the region and and, and our pedigree is is this an area that you've had success recruiting in or want to recruit more in no, we, we haven't had as much success as I would, li- I would have liked or hoped for. You know, we have a current player in, in, in uh, Juan Cruzri. Sure. You know, his brother played for St. Louis City, too. And we actually had his brother committed to us, but he decided to, to sign with Sporting KC and still joke with him. We lost in the uh, Final Four that year. And I always told him in the recruitment process, I felt like he was the missing piece. And going to the final four and losing i felt like justified my opinion of him yeah uh so i was like he owed me his brother coming so his his brother has come and you know iu has such a stronghold on this area and and slew's done a tremendous job here of late and and when slew was a little down you i was hoping we could sneak in a few but the same guys we wanted end up going to iu and yeah you know i was talking to uh well that mayor's dad yeah the final four and i was like completely blew that you know it came to our camp i think i had a window to get him recruited and i waited a little bit longer and i used well, swept in there and i, uh, I lost it and episode uh, he was episode four he's he's your nemesis in my opinion yeah. mr ken godat because yeah. <laughs> he uh, obviously played there him and yegley played together you know all those years um I think Ken's got a secret little, like, a bat phone to IU. And, <laughs> you know, because it, the, the the championship game, what was it, uh, six? I, I believe six players and staff combined not only were from St. Louis, but they were Gallagher. They were all right. Gallagher players. Yeah, and we probably had three of those guys visit. And <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I, I want, obviously, being from here, I want St. Louis players. I'd yeah. love to have them. You know, we got two guys committed. I can't comment on who they are yet until they sign. I'm hoping that continues the, the process of getting more more kids in. And, and, you know, maybe with St. Louis City, maybe that breaks it up, you know, yeah. that, that, that IU connection. You know, I don't know if we can ever completely break it up, but could we continue to do what we've done these last couple of years is find the right guy out of the area and add him to our team and, and – you know, Juan Cruzri's done a great job for us and, and has a couple more years left, and we have high hopes for him, as do the two guys we have coming committed, and, and hopefully... Are we calling them Player A and Player B? Player A, Player Or Player B. A or player, and Player A, too? <laughs> yeah, so, so we're, you know, we're excited. I always like to try and get it, because you know the mentality you're getting from kids out of St. Louis, and... and once you know the mentality, you at least have a starting point, and then yeah. a lot of other things come into development. But you know, you don't have to worry about maybe one of the bigger things. You know, you know, passion for the game, and, and yeah, some toughness because a lot of good coaches here that, that you know, are not, you know, they don't always give their players warm fuzzies. You know, and, and no. tell people, look, it's it's a difficult game. You can't expect just to Ted Lasso somebody from ten to. 20 and be a pro there's, there's going to be some tough love moments yeah you know you can always go overboard as a coach we've all we've all done it but you know there's a balance between tough love and and, and you know believing in kids and that's always the difficult part for coaches you know in the development ages to find so then 
Let me. We're, we're going to wrap up here shortly. Um, you're going into first first season with, in the new conference. Uh, you've got a couple St. Louis young bloods maybe coming your way. That's what it sounds like. Um, you you know your your team. Uh, you've got you got balanced return, right? You you weren't you weren't as decimated as some. Well, it's my first year, uh, my coaching career. All my starters are back. Okay, so. Um, project us out. You know, how do you feel? You've, you've, been, you've been around it long enough. Uh, you kind of, you know who you're going to be playing. You know, you probably have already watched film on most of them. Um, you know, what are you, what are you looking at in your 23-24 season? Yeah, I, I think we have a team that can make a run at it. You know, we turn 80% of our scoring and, and have some young guys that can come in and, and maybe jump some veteran players and you know, we've also gone through a lot the last couple of years with this group. So we've, we've had some disappointment. And I think some of that failure and disappointment is also key to some of your bright moments. And this team's prime for it. Obviously, a lot has to go into it when, when you get going. But I'm really excited about this team and our potential and the new conference and the excitement that will bring might be what, what really gets us over the top. I mean, it's. When you go into the MAC, I tell some everybody it's been probably ten years of no one wants to play the game as a player, no fan wants to watch the game. You win the game, no one even says congratulations. It's expected. Right. You lose the game, world's falling apart, and that may not be the case. And like it, you just don't build momentum. You just build tension. Right. You know, now you get to go in a situation where you, you feel like win or lose, you're, you're kind of in it with everybody and everybody's enjoying that journey and you can build momentum. You know, and people can get excited through conference results, you know. and So if I, I'm i scheduled to go, um, I believe, early May. My wife said she's got a conference and I tend to follow around her conference schedule. Uh, Vegas. I'm supposed to go to Vegas. Um, realistically, how much money should I put down Akron to win? You know, or, or uh, <laughs> you, can, can I expect decent odds? You know, and 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 would I owe you a dinner afterwards? I, I don't know what odds we would get, but you know, I think <laughs> I think you you could feel good about that bet. Like we'll be there. You go a team that can be in the mix. Um, like I said, I usually. This type of year, even if I lost my one or two top players or whatever, I'd still feel this strong. There's been a situation we got everyone back, and I'm sitting here looking at players we have coming in. I still may have three new starters. So oh, wow. your team gets more competitive. Yeah, better. And, and, and if they're not new starters, then those guys have gotten better that are fighting them off. But you have more depth. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you're playing in a 10th season and, and a four-month window, four-and-a-half-month window, like – Depth can be key at the right time, and you know we're the last guy who's gone through it. You know, Ben Lunt, funny, funny story. New St. Louis City goalkeeper. Yeah. You know, I was with him. He was in our national final team in 2018, and we got to like six games left, and he made a mistake in a game. And Ben's third year, and he's frustrated with this mistake because it's happened before. And I just said, Hey, Ben, you're never playing here again. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> Never playing here. I just had a bad moment as a coach, right? And uh, he walks out of the office, and my goalkeeper coach goes, 
he's our best keeper. You can't be telling him that. I'm like, I'm ready to see what the other guy's got. Like, we've been on him on this mistake for a while. He's like, I don't care. We need him. Yeah. You, you can't tell him he's never playing again. I'm like, well, that's where I'm at. Well, uh, he doesn't start for two games. Well, then our other guy gets a concussion. And, well, Ben's back in. <laughs> yeah. Bring Ben back in the office. I'm like, Ben, well, you know how I said you're never playing again? I lied. <laughs> I need you. Take back. I go, hopefully, we're in a spot. I said, I'll do this to you. I'm like, I'm not going to take you out from here. I'm going to ride or die with you. What I said was out of line, right? I was emotional about some things. You've been our best keeper. I was trying to send you a message. I need you now. You know, in fairness to Ben, defensive MVP in the NCAA tournament, led us to the final, by far our best player that year. Uh, kept us in the final with the PK save and was absolutely tremendous at Wake Forest. Um, you know, so as coaches, sometimes you, you, you put yourself in. Yeah. We talk about the national team as coaches. Sometimes you create your own drama and problems and definitely did that with him. But you guys will absolutely love Ben Love. Yeah. Awesome keeper. He, he's obviously going to be back up to Berkey, but you guys got a tremendous goalkeeper yeah. person. And I've, I've heard of Berkey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I watched him today in training. I'm like, wow. I told Ben afterwards, I'm like, you know, I don't know how many games you're going to play, but you're going to learn a lot. Enjoy. Go, you, you don't always get opportunities against to see players firsthand in your position that talented. Yeah. And be their backup. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, I'm like, enjoy the heck out of it, and when you're there, be ready. How, how many, <clears throat> real quick last question, do you know offhand, uh, 10 years as coach, how many uh, how many players you have playing right now? Pro. Ballpark. Uh, I'd quick, say around 20. Quick quick name drop. Who you got out there? We got uh, Yedlin, Darlington Nagby. Uh, if you want to go USL, Aiden Quinn. Uh, obviously, Ben Lund. Uh, yeah. Richie Lorea. Uh, right. Uh, well, there's a lot of talent. Teal Bunbury. A lot of talented guys. Scott Caldwell still playing. Will Trapp. Uh, it's a good. It's a good roster. Not not bad. Some a lot of guys that have been fortunate enough to play for the national teams are, are still playing for them. And yeah. Hopefully we can add to that. Well, Jared, thank you for your time, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. A lot of incredible insight. You know, fun stories. Uh, would love to eventually have you back. You know, could catch up because obviously the world that you live in that we talk about uh, changes by the minute. So, I'd love to keep up with you, the team, the recruits, uh, you know, what's going on. Um, gonna roll us out here with the little Almond Brothers, right? Another <laughs> mighty fine KC classic. Uh, and please, you know, hit me up anytime. Love to have you back. Um, you know? Yeah, no, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Right on. Well,. Uh, thanks for listening this far. If you made it this far, all two of you, I really appreciate it. Uh, give us a follow. Give us a share. Uh, reviews are great. Um, you know, and if you want to give us money, too, because, you know, we do tend to have a few pops during these shows. It's just, you know, it's like a tip. You know, we're a tipping nation these days. We tip McDonald's, right? We're making Mr. Pink extremely upset with our tip sensation. So just pass it our way. The Venmo tab is on our website page at gaslightstl.com. 
Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you, Amsterdam Tavern, for uh, hosting. And uh, Jared, good luck uh, with wife and baby. <laughs> and with the season coming up, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it, hitting you up, see how things are going. And uh, talk to you soon, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care.